0: Welcome to Lunch Pell Sermons. My messages begin with the assumption that the Bible's teaching is simple. Love God, do good. With that simple message, the Spirit delivers divine haymakers that nudge us toward becoming better followers of Jesus. I hope this sermon helps you in living God's adventure for your life. We are talking about uh, Jonah this week, so we are switching to uh, our topic, and this week We are looking at the story of Jonah, and we'll be looking at that for the next uh, few weeks. And when we come to the story of Jonah, this is a story we know. This is a story that extends well beyond the church, um, and it's a story that is really part of our culture. And if you were to say, uh, Jonah and the whale, uh, by and large, people have an idea. Something comes to mind. Uh, People might even know, oh, that's kind of one of those Bible story kind of things. And when we come to the story of Jonah and the will, one of the first things um, we're kind of asking us is, like, how true is it? Like, can, can we take it as truth? We'll look at that. We'll look at that. That'll be one of the first things we have do. Hey, let's uh, read the text first, um, and we will um, get, a, get an idea of what's happening here in this first chapter. And oh, let me just pause for a moment as, as we come to the text. Uh, so when we come to a familiar story like Jonah... Uh, You can be like, man, I've heard that one a long time. And maybe you're reflecting on your time as a child, reading those little books, you know, with little pictures of Jonah and the little whale. And you remember and it becomes very familiar with the story. And one of the things that familiarity can do is it makes us kind of shut down, thinking I already know it and I'm not going to hear anything new. Um, My job is to try to bring something new, um, to make it interesting. And so my job is to maybe you know the story, but maybe bring out a point that you hadn't thought about uh, before. Uh, so uh, let me read Jonah chapter one for us. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amateh. "Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me." But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo in the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, for he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, "How can you sleep, get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take note of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lots fell on Jonah. So they asked, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to him, and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. For so this is the word of the Lord. So One of the first questions that we're asking, hey, is it is true? Like, you know, am I supposed to believe that? How do we come and intersect with this passage that? provides this seemingly unbelievable tale. And the way I approach a text like this is that I am going to preach it as true. And I'm going to try to take from it the things that I can take from it, but I'm going to preach it as true. And first reason to do that is because that's what Jesus did. Jesus actually quotes this very story. And he talks about Jonah being in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And he says, just like the Son of Man, that being Jesus, will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Jesus comes and he approaches this story as true. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's gonna be good enough for me. Uh, but let's, let's think a little bit more into it. Uh, a couple of approaches that I think are not helpful when we come to this idea of truth and the story. Um, there is the one approach that says it's all about the truth. These I would refer to them as the absolute truthers, man. They're like, this happened absolutely. I've got videos to prove it. I've got all these, you know, diagrams to show you how it could happen. I've got this thing to point how it would have happened and what it would look like. can you know, you're just kind of overwhelmed with the facts of how this absolutely must have happened and it could have happened. And there's no denying the scripture. And so, yeah, I, I mean, okay. Um, I'm like, Jesus, man, I'm just, I'm just going to take it as true and just kind of take it at face value um, and move, move forward. Um, one of the things that uh, I try to avoid with like the absolute truthers approach is that in this case, the truth of the story begins to supersede the point of the story. So the focus becomes so... Did it happen? It did happen. I can show you and prove it to you that the message of the story is lost. And the story of Jonah isn't to prove or disprove a fish story. It's to tell us something about God. Uh, Next kind of approach is the allegory approach. And to come to a story like this and you're like, man, that's hard to believe. That's ridiculous. I don't think so. And so we say... We're just going to take it as figurative language, some type of allegory that's there to teach us a point. And my concern with this approach is that we have put our interpretation on the story before ever hearing from God. So we come into the story with with this allegory approach of saying, here's what can happen. Here's what could take place. I've already decided how I can understand or not understand this. story. And what we do with this approach is we so limit the power of God. The scripture describes itself, the word of God, as sharper than any two-edged sword, right? Cutting the joint and the marrow, cuts the bone. The word of God is so powerful that it cuts the bone. But when we come to a story like this, that maybe has some things that don't fit with our modern sensitivities and simply discount it as allegory. We take the word of God that should be sharper than any double-edged sword. The word of God that can literally cut to the bone. And we turn it into one of those takeout knives that bend in half when the moment you try to use. It. Not useful for much. Finally, as we ask this idea, is it true? This story is so unbelievable, right? It seems improbable. seems like it couldn't happen. Well, before you make up your mind, I'm going to tell you a couple other stories. A couple of stories. First, I'm going to tell you the story of, of Harrison Okini. So Harrison Okini was on a Nigerian tugboat in the year 2013, so not so long ago. And on Harrison's tugboat, they're 12 miles offshore. Boat breaks apart, sinks to the bottom. They are submerged at, in 100 feet of water. And what happens as this boat breaks apart and is submerged in 100 feet of water is that Harrison finds himself in some sort of pocket of air that has been created. And as the wreckage makes its way down, he is in darkness but breathing air. He stays that way for 60 hours. When people become to finally get the wreckage out, they come across and they find him there. They're like, why would you do doing? Like, we thought everyone was dead, right? It's been 60 hours. You're in 100 feet of water. But there he is, alive. At that depth, a professional diver would say, 20 minutes. 20 minutes is, is how long you should stay. After that, you, you risk harming yourself. It took him two days to decompress and get all the pressure right after they rescued him out of the ocean. That story seems pretty improbable to me, Justin. If you were to tell me that someone could sink in a ship in 100 feet of water and stay there for 60 hours, I'd say, I don't think so. But it happened. I- I'm going to link you uh, that story um, on the weekly email. Um, I'm going to link you another story that I'm about to tell you right now. Um, that's the story of... The um, lady named Vesna Volvovic. So this was in 1972, so a little bit longer ago. She's in an airplane, 33,000 feet. Plane breaks apart. 33,000 feet. Plane breaks apart. And yeah, you know where I'm going with this unbelievable story. She survives. She didn't have a parachute. You know, it wasn't like, I mean, she's just in a plane. Breaks apart. And somehow, in the process of all of that wreckage and the falling, she's alive. She's alive. And uh, she was in a coma for 27 days, 16 months in the hospital. So we're not talking like she just walked away from this thing. But she was alive. I feel like that's pretty improbable. I feel like that's incredibly unlikely. If you were to tell me someone could fall out of a plane at 33,000 feet, hit the ground and live, I would say no way. But it happened. These aren't stories that people doubt. You know, when I was thinking of looking up kind of improbable stories, I looked up for things that, you know, were verifiable. Things, things that you looked up and I, there was good proof. So this isn't like, you know, some crazy weirdos, you know, on the internet. These are these are, these are legit stuff. Improbable events. So when we think of the story of Jonah, when we compare it to those two, how... Improbable as Jonah when compared to those two. Jonah kind of seems right about those same lines, doesn't he? And when we think of the Bible and we come and we hear these miracles and we can so easily discount them and say, oh, it was just simple people from a long time ago. That's just kind of figurative language. It didn't really happen. You just remember a couple of things. I mean, the Bible covers 2,000 years. And there really aren't that many stories like Jonah and the great fish. There's not that many just crazy, miraculous, unbelievable stories. For 2,000 years, you know, we got a few. The stories I told you, but covering about 50 years, pulled up too. you You'll find more of these improbable things happen. So is it true? You know, I can't prove it to you. I can't. You can't disprove it to me if you don't believe it, right? I'm going to preach it as true, though. I'm going to preach it as true. And the reason I'm going to preach it as true, As I told you at the beginning, the point of this passage isn't about whether Jonah actually got swallowed by a fish or not. The point of this passage is God's mercy. That is what the story of Jonah is about. It is about God's mercy. We see that God brings good to all. people. Let's get ourselves into the story of Jonah. We are going to look at the command that Jonah receives. And the complication that is lying within this command. And we'll explain that out as it comes up. Let's look and read this first verse together. Let's read these two verses together. Let's read. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Because its wickedness has come up before me. So we come to this story and we hear, hey, Jonah, go to Nineveh. There's a ton of baggage Complication in this command, and I'm going to just provide a brief overview of the Bible for you to help you understand why Jonah acts like he does. So, if we were to come to the story of the Bible and be kind of put things into year categories, uh, we would see Abraham's kind of 2,000 years before Jesus, and then Moses kind of slips in about 14. Or, well, 15, 1500 is kind of what I keep in my mind. Moses might actually be maybe closer like 1400, but we, we're not going to go, Moses, just kind of, it's easy to kind of go with the 500 years. Moses, 1,500. Uh, David is 1,000 years before Jesus. Uh, Jesus, we're going to start our calendar at zero with him. And then today, we're like 2,000 years. So we're kind of like the same distance to Jesus as Jesus was to Abraham. You you think about that. And um, so the story of Jonah fits into about 750 B.C.E. So about 250 years after David, and then like 750 years or so before Jesus. And um, what we know about the city of Nineveh is this. Um, So the city of Nineveh is the capital city of a certain empire that in the ancient world was very dominant. The Assyrian Empire. And the Bible actually speaks much of the Assyrian Empire. And uh, the reason it does, has to do with something you can kind of see here. So Israel, there's tribes in Israel. And those start just a little bit after Abraham. And there's 12 tribes in Israel. And the Bible follows the story of those 12 tribes following along. And then about the year 700 BCE. In other words, just a little bit after the story of Jonah. Those tribes that once number 12 become two. Ten tribes of Israel are forever lost. And they are forever lost at the unmerciful Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians capture ten of the tribes. And their identity is white. Yes, the Assyrian Empire. Yes, the Assyrian Empire whose capital city is Nineveh. And even those events have not yet taken place when Jonah receives this message. He receives the message to go to the city of Nineveh and tell them about God. Their great enemy. Their great enemy that will devour ten tribes. And God says, go and Tell them. Bring the word of the Lord to them. So when Jonah is not so happy about this message, we can begin to see why. He hated the people of them. These are the people that will destroy his Let's continue on in our story as we see that Jonah runs, but he can't hide. Jonah's going to find himself moving away from God. God's going to be like, not so fast, Jonah. I've got a plan for you. Uh, let's read uh, this next verse together. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He found a ship bound for that port. He went aboard and sailed for Tarshish. To flee from the Lord. So Jonah heads in the complete opposite direction. If Nineveh was that way and Jonah is here, Jonah is going <laughs> that way. He is going exactly the opposite way that God has told him to go. So it's not even like Jonah is like kind of standing still and like not, not going. It's God... This way, Jonah. Jonah's like, no thanks. I'm headed the other way. And as we discussed, Jonah doesn't like those kids. And understandably so. But one of the things that we see is that Jonah lacks something that God has. Jonah lacks compassion. Jonah lacks passion for those oppressive people. We're finding ourselves, like, one of the questions that at least comes to my mind, maybe comes to your mind, why just someone else? You know, God, what, like, why, why chase Jonah down to do this job that he doesn't want to? And the scriptures don't completely tell us. But one of the things that we do see with Jonah is that he is someone who has incredible faith. He is also someone who has complete belief in God's mercy. Because see, Jonah, the reason he's headed the opposite direction is he's, he's already guessed how this story's going to end. Jonah's like, hey, I'm going to go, I'm going to tell them about God, and they're going to be like, oh, we're sorry, we need to get right with God. And God's going to be like, I forgive you. Jonah's like, I don't want those people, those things, those monsters to experience the forgiveness of God. And if they're going to experience it, it won't be because I did anything to help them. And in the midst of Jonah's bitterness towards this people, there is incredible faith. There is an incredible Grasp of who God is. God's just going to have to do a little work to get Jonah to be obedient. And so, as we will be going through the story of Jonah in the next couple of weeks, we're going to see God gets Jonah obedient. Jonah's not a man of compassion, but he will become a man of obedience. God will use that. Very first thing God uses. Big wind storm on Jonah's ship. Let's read this verse together. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. So Jonah's on the ship. He's headed the opposite way that God wants. God sends an incredible storm. And what do we have Jonah doing in the midst of this incredible storm? Sleeping away not even waking up just and the storm on the ship is absolutely having its way we're gonna see the storm it gets personal this is not just like ordinary storm this is a storm in search of a person we're gonna find out who that is so the sailors somehow these guys begin to say hey there's something different about this thing This isn't like storms that we usually have. We need to find out who's responsible. And so they begin the process of casting lots, which is a similar way of rolling dice to discern what God's plans are. And so in this case, they do some casting of lots. And it turns out that these lots settle on Jonah. And they're like, hey, Jonah, now that we've got you out of the basement of the ship and you're finally awake and you're here with us, uh, it looks like you might be the problem here. Like, time to talk to us a little bit. Here's what Jonah tells him. Let's read this together. He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Oh, these sailors are like, uh, oh, oh, they like kind of knew he was running away from God. He had already mentioned that earlier. And, you know, the Lord God, you know, Jonah was talking about obscene, probably kind of powerful before. But now Jonah kind of throws in this kind of thing, you know, it turns out he's kind of like over everything, including the sea. So, you know, we were kind of thinking maybe the storm could be a little personal, especially as we're out here in the middle of the sea. And now the sailors are like, oh, this thing is personal and your God is coming for you. He realized that they are also in the way. Jonah comes and offers a solution. Jonah's like, it's my fault. I get it, guys. Throw me over. Send me out into the sea. This thing will become calm. So what do the sailors do? Uh, they're like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> if you really are serving the Lord God, creator of heaven and earth and ruler over the land and the sea. We don't want to make your God. And Jonah keeps convincing him. He's like, no, go ahead and send me over. And as the sailors begin to do this process, I want you to think about how they begin to change their idea of who is their God. You see, when the story started, These sailors are not followers of the Lord God. They have their own gods. And when the storms were raging, each sailor called upon their own deity. And in the process of calling on their own deities, it kind of seems like they've only heard from one. The Lord God of heaven. And now this Lord God that they didn't seem to have much use for at the beginning of the story. They find themselves little concerned about offending this God. And as they're about to throw Jonah overboard and follow Jonah's instructions, they're asking to the God of heaven, do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. you are pleading God. They, they, see, they didn't believe earlier, right? They didn't have any idea of God earlier. Now they do. And finally, these sailors throw him into the water. And as they throw him into the water, the storm calms. And what was once a raging sea, it's just placid as can be. Blue skies, seas like glass, smooth. These guys Are absolutely terrified. Are they terrified? Because they have had an encounter. With the Lord God of heaven. They didn't know him before. But they know him now. Let's read their response. At this. The men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord. And made vows to him. They, 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 they're doing it all, right? They're fearing God, they're offering sacrifices, they're making vows. Yes, we're with you. We're with you. And this is this is Jonah. This is this is the irony of Jonah. Because the Bible tells the story of many prophets. And the prophets all have pretty similar encounters. It all goes terrible. They go around, hey, you need to follow God, repent, do the right thing, leave your sinful self, follow God. And people are like, no, thanks. We're not really into that. Too much of a burden right now. Prophets were not well received and completely unsuccessful in their profession. If their profession was to get people to turn to God, they're pretty much hitting like zero. They're just not really getting the job done. And then we enter Jonah, Jonah, a, a reluctant prophet, a bitter prophet. God's using him in an incredible way. We got these sailors, right? A little time with Jonah, a little experience with God, Man, now they're faithful followers. And that is the irony of Jonah, that God uses him in an incredible way to reach people that would not be reached otherwise. And as we're going to see in a couple of weeks, that's what happens when Jonah enters that city of Nineveh. There's going to be a great conversion taking place there. People are going to be turning to God. Jonah, the most successful prophet. Jonah may be unmatched in his ability to bring people to God. Jonah is like his generation's Billy Graham, but maybe more. At the same time, Jonah is not a man of compassion. As Jonah is thrown into the water, we know how the story goes. Jonah gets swallowed by a great fish. And he's going to be in the belly of that great fish For three days. As we think of this story. I want you to think about the mercy of God. And that's the mercy of God for people you don't know. And that's the mercy of God for you as well. That is the overriding theme of the story of Jonah. Is God's mercy. That's mercy for the other person. That's mercy for our foe. That's mercy for the people we don't like. That's mercy for the people who plot against us. That's mercy for the people who want to rule over us. That's mercy for the people who would be happy to see us destroyed. That's who God's mercy is for. And for us today, we should never compartmentalize. The mercy of God. The mercy of God is for everyone. Sometimes it's easy to think it's not for them. And whatever them is to you, we kind of put them and say they're getting what they deserve. That's how we view it, right? Hey, they're bad. And if something bad happens to them, well, they had it come. Maybe they should have changed. Hmm. But That's not how God sees it. God has compassion for people. Remember, this is the city of Nineveh, capital of the Assyrian Empire. That will take 10 of the 12 tribes. God has compassion for and certainly, we as a church want to be known as a place that has. Glory. We want to be known as a place that speaks and lives out the mercy of God for all people. And certainly, as we know, too many times Christians and churches are known more for judgment than for mercy. Let us be people who are known for our mercy. Finally, I want you to know that the mercy of God for the other person. It's the same for you you also get to experience the mercy of god have you done the wrong thing are you pursuing your own path have you abandoned god has god told you to go one way and you went the other mercy of god is there for you as well the same mercy that god has for your enemy god has for you as And maybe in your own life, maybe today, maybe at some point in the future, you will find yourself in a storm of your own making. You have abandoned God in your own life and you fled in your own direction and you're doing your own thing. Because you didn't like the way that God. So you said, "Ah, forget you. It's about me and my happiness. I'm going to go determine my own future. I don't need God telling me what to do. And you went and did your own thing. And in the midst of that, you made your own mess. And you're in your own storm. What should you do? I'd say follow the example of Jonah. Get yourself off the boat. Get yourself out of the storm and just jump into the water. Say, I'm putting myself at the mercy of God. God, save me. You know, so often we're kind of like the sailors on that that boat. And when they were in the midst of the storm, they're like rowing, trying to save themselves. It was all about how can I save myself? And that's what separated Jonah, who understood God from the sailors, who at the beginning of the story did not. Jonah knew it wasn't about saving myself. It was about throwing myself at the mercy of God, saying, God, help me. So, when you find yourself in that storm of your own making, if you're not in one today, you will be in one at some point because we all find ourselves in the storm of our own making. Message for you, message for me. Overboard. Let's put ourselves at the mercy of our God. Thanks for listening to Lunch Pell Sermons. Now it's time to put these words into action and go live our adventure. Let's love God and do good.